is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys, These Guys Know Sports here live on this Friday, April the 28th, in the house with your boy Trey Larkers on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Welcome back. I'm back in the house. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. What a wonderful time it is to be alive. So many topics to get into. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs in the East. We got the Sixers. We got the Celtics. We got the Heat. We got the Knicks. Who would have expected a Heat Knicks? Second round matchup, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brunson, Eric Spostra, Tom Thibodeau. I'm going to preview that matchup a little later on in the show. And in the West, we got the Suns. We got the Nuggets. It's Devin Booker. It's Kevin Durant. It's Nikola Jokic. It's Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets versus the Phoenix Suns. The one versus four matchup in the West. I'm going to get into that matchup. A little later on in the show as well. And the matchup everyone's waiting on. We're going to see what happens tonight. The matchup everyone is waiting on and anticipating is the Lakers and the Warriors. If the Warriors and the Lakers both win their game six matchups tonight against the Kings and against the Grizzlies, it will be LeBron James and Anthony Davis versus Steph Curry and Klay Thompson in the second round for the right to go to the Western Conference Finals. I'm here for it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited for it. What are we going to see? Because I think the Kings and the Grizzlies are both going to battle with the Warriors and the Lakers tonight. And also, in the NFL, we got the NFL draft. So last night, we had the NFL draft. It was underway. And it was some 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 interesting picks in the NFL draft last night. So I'm gonna get into that as well. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That is the number to dial. Let's begin in the NBA in the Eastern Conference. It's the three-seeded Philadelphia 76ers. Taking on the two seed in the Boston Celtics, the Sixers Celtics. They are matching up against each other for the 22nd time in the playoffs. That's the most series meetings between any two teams in NBA postseason history. Game one of this matchup will be Monday night at TD Garden on TNT. And in a regular season, the Celtics, they beat the Sixers in three out of the four matchups. The Celtics averaged 111 points per game. The Sixers averaged 107 points per game. The Celtics shot 50% from the floor. The Sixers shot 47% from the floor. Celtics also shot better from three-point range. Celtics shot 41% from three. Sixers shot 36%. From three and Joel and B in his last matchup against the Celtics, the man dropped 52 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, the most dominant player on the floor, and he was sensational. And one of the matchups also earlier in the season, 
the Sixers played the Celtics very well. This was in Philadelphia. Jason Tatum had struggled all game long, and Tatum hit a game-winning three-point shot over the Philadelphia 76ers, and B shot a, a, a full-court heave. It went in, but time had expired, so the Celtics beat the Sixers in that game. And in the last matchup, when B did have 52, Jalen Brown did not play in that matchup in Philly. So, when I look at this matchup, Sixers versus Celtics, I got to be honest. I've been anticipating this matchup, ladies and gentlemen, since January. When I looked at the standings and I saw the Milwaukee Bucks, who were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference throughout the season, and the Milwaukee Bucks had the best record in the NBA, I was thinking, okay, most likely we're going to have the Celtics and the Sixers in the two, three slots in the Eastern Conference. So that makes up for a tremendous, tremendous second round matchup between these two teams who have so much history between each other. And in the Jason Tatum era, Tatum has gotten the better of Joel B in their playoff series. I remember in the bubble, the Celtics swept the Sixers in route to the Eastern Conference Finals. So Tatum has gotten the better of Joel B in their matchups in the playoffs so far. Now, when I look at the Philadelphia 76ers, let's start off with the Sixers. The Sixers, they are led by Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid, to me, is the NBA MVP. You look at Joel Embiid's numbers this year in comparison to the previous two years. In the previous two years, in 2021, Joel Embiid averaged 31 points per game on 50% shooting from the floor, shot 81% from the free throw line in 68 games played. In the 2020 season, Joel B averaged 29 points per game on 51% shooting from the floor, 86% from the free throw line in 51 games played. And in those two seasons, Joel B was the NBA MVP runner-up. And this year, I believe Joel B will win the NBA MVP. Look at his numbers this season. This year, Joel B, he's averaging 33 points per game on 55% shooting from the floor, 86% from the free throw line in 65 games played. When it comes to the NBA MVP, yes, I believe Nikola Jokic has had a great season. He's won the NBA MVP in back-to-back seasons, and he is the leader of the Denver Nuggets. Giannis is arguably the best player in the NBA. He is a dominant force to be reckoned with. He led the Milwaukee Bucks to the best record in the Eastern Conference, the best record in the NBA. But I believe what Joel Embiid has done for the Philadelphia 76ers, leading them to the third seed in the East, dominating in multiple, multiple games this season. And again, for him to shoot 86% from the free throw line, because we know Joel B in the low post, he's a lot to deal with. So your only hope is to foul him and hope he misses free throws. Remember back in the day, as dominant and as great as Shaquille O'Neal was, Shaq struggled at the free throw line. Now Shaq did make his free throws when it mattered the most, but for the most part, Shaq was a 
liability at the free throw line in late game situations. Joel Embiid is not. And Joel Embiid is a better free throw shooter and more reliable at the free throw line than even Giannis. And I think Giannis is overall a better player than Joel Embiid is, but I trust Joel Embiid more at the free throw line in late game situations more than I trust Giannis. We saw in game five at the FedEx Forum of elimination game for the Bucks, Giannis missed, I believe, like 13 free throws. 13 free throws. He was scared to even catch the basketball in the late moments of that game because he was petrified of going to the free throw line. Joel Embiid is the exact opposite. Shot 86% from the free throw line this year, and I believe he had more MVP moments than Giannis and the Joker both combined. I remember their matchup earlier in the season. It was Embiid versus the Joker. And NB dropped 40 plus in that matchup. The Joker had, I believe, like 18. I can't remember exactly the numbers, but he had subpar numbers. And NB dominated his matchup against the Joker. And earlier in the season, NB and the Sixers, they beat Giannis and the Bucks in Milwaukee. I think the Bucks were on like a 16 or 17 game winning streak at the time. And NB and the Sixers completely dominated the Bucs in the fourth quarter of that matchup. And then B outplayed Giannis late in that game as well. So this Philadelphia 76ers team is led by Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid in his last two games this year against the Celtics, February 25th, he dropped 41 points, 12 rebounds, five assists. April 4th, the game where Jalen Brown didn't play, Joel B dropped 52 points, 13 rebounds, six assists. And in that matchup, he scored 52 of the team's 103 points in the win. 52 of the 103 points for the Philadelphia 76ers were by Joel Embiid. And I think he has definitely, definitely elevated his game. And he's playing at an MVP level. And hopefully, here in the coming weeks, the announcement will be made that Joel Embiid is the NBA MVP. Now, when I when it comes to the Philadelphia 76ers and the keys for the Sixers to have a chance to upset the Celtics in this series, I got three keys for the Sixers. The number one key is going to be who is going to help Joel and B from a scoring perspective offensively in this series. Because when I look at the Philadelphia 76ers, and I said this to my cousin back in January, I don't believe that James Harden is the Sixers' second best player anymore. I believe that Tyrese Maxey is now the Philadelphia 76ers' best player behind Joel B. He's their second best player. And I think he's more consistent than James Harden is. This year, Tyrese Maxey, he's, he's averaging 20 points per game, and he's averaging four assists per game, three rebounds. He's not the passer that James Harden is, because we know James Harden is a tremendous passer. James Harden, for the season, he's averaging 21 points per game, but he's averaging 11 assists per game. That's where James Harden is dangerous now at this point in his career. He's more of a passer than even a dominant scorer like he was in Houston. The Philadelphia James Harden is a playmaker. The Houston James Harden was a scorer. And now on this Sixers 
team. I believe Maxi is a more, more dependable scorer than even James Harden is. And we've seen James Harden come up small in playoff moments time and time again in the past. I remember one year in Houston, James Harden, in a matchup where the Spurs didn't have Kawhi Leonard, it was game six. I never forget. It was game six in Houston, in Harden's house. Spurs were leading 3-2 in that series. No Kawhi Leonard in game six. James Harden dropped, I believe it was, it was like 11 points. And, I, and it was like on two of 11 shooting from the floor. He was pathetic in that game six elimination game for the Rockets. So we've seen James Harden come up small time and time again in the playoffs. So I believe that Tyrese Maxey is the Sixers' second best player. And I believe in order for the Sixers to have a chance to beat the Celtics, Tyrese Maxey is going to have to play at a high level for the Sixers in this series. He's going to have to play at a high level. I, I think it was game three when NB was struggling in the series against the Nets in game three. In game three specifically, Tyrese Maxey completely took over the game in the fourth quarter for the Sixers. He played sensational. And I believe that was the game where James Harden got ejected. James Harden got ejected and B was struggling. And it looked like the Nets were going to win and get back in the series. And Tyrese Maxey shut it completely down and played sensational in the fourth quarter. And I believe that he's definitely, definitely taken a step up as far as his role on this basketball team and what they need from him to be successful. So the number one key for the Philadelphia 76ers is going to be the production from Tyrese Maxey. Also, another key for the Philadelphia 76ers is going to be on the defensive side of the floor. You have to be able to contain one or the other. You can't allow Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both to dominate. During the regular season this year, Jason Tatum averaged 30 points per game. Jalen Brown averaged 27 points per game. You can't allow both Tatum and Brown to dominate. Like last night in Atlanta, the main reason why the, 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 the Celtics beat the Hawks was because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both played at a high level, and they both had over 30 in that closeout game for the Celtics over the Hawks. So for the Sixers, they got to contain one of the Jays, either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, to have a chance in this series. Now, the other key for the Sixers is going to be Doc Rivers out coaching Joe Missoula. That's the one area in this series where I give the advantage to the Philadelphia 76ers. You look at Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, for his career, he's coached in 1,778 total games as a coach. He's won 1,043 games, lost 735 games. So he's won 59% of his games. Joe Missoula, on the other hand, this is his first season as the head coach of the Boston Celtics. So this is his first experience as a head coach in the postseason. And we all know playoff basketball is different than regular season basketball. Same in the NFL. Regular season football is different than playoff football. So I thought even in the Hawks-Celtics series, 
there were times where Quinn Snyder outcoached Joe Mazzula. But the Celtics have so much talent, they were able to overcome Joe Mazzula's inexperience as a head coach. In this series, for the Sixers to have a chance, Doc Rivers has to outcoach Joe Mazzula. And I think that's very possible. Now, Doc Rivers has also had his shortcomings in the NBA playoffs. I remember in the bubble when he coached the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, Doc Rivers lost a commanding three to one lead to the Denver Nuggets in the bubble. That was the Clippers' best opportunity to reach the NBA Finals and possibly win a championship in the Kawhi Leonard, Paul George era in LA. And they came up short. And they lost a 3-1 lead in that series. I think also earlier in his Clippers tenure, I think Doc Rivers and the Clippers lost a 3-1 lead to the Houston Rockets as well. So we've seen Doc Rivers get out coached and not make the necessary adjustments in playoff series before. But he has the advantage from a head coaching standpoint because Joe Mazzula is inexperienced. And we're going to find out how good of a coach Joe Mazzula is. So those are my three keys for the Philadelphia 76ers. Doc Rivers out coaching Joe Mazzula. Tyrese Maxey elevating his game, consistently playing at a high level for them to have a chance. And also containing either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. You cannot allow both of them to go off. Now for the Celtics. One of the keys for the Celtics is going to be Al Horford. Al Horford has to play better in this playoff series. He wasn't very good against the Atlanta Hawks. He, he His best game probably came in game six. He hit a big-time three late in that game against the Hawks that helped the Celtics overcome the Hawks. But Al Horford wasn't very good against the, the Hawks especially from, a, from an offensive standpoint. So they're going to need some production from Al Horford. Now, remember, Al Horford has history because he once played for the Philadelphia 76ers. And when the Sixers play the Celtics, those Sixers fans, they, they let Al Horford know and remind him uh, of them being a, a fan base who, who boos the opposing team's Players who previously played for their team. They, they they always boo Al Horford when he's in Philadelphia. So Al Horford is going to be key in this series. He has to be able to hit open shots when Jason Tatum and, and Brown or Marcus Smart or Brogdon, you know, gets into the paint and into the interior and they dish it out to Al Horford. He has to be able to hit his perimeter shots. He's a veteran. He's been in the NBA for multiple seasons. I expect Al Horford to play better in the second round compared to what he did in the first round. Now, the other key for the Boston Celtics is going to be them playing at a high level in high leverage moments. In game five, the Celtics were pathetic in the fourth quarter. They allowed the Hawks to completely dominate in the fourth quarter of game five, Trey Young outplayed Brown and Tatum significantly in game five in the fourth quarter. Remember in that game, the Celtics were in command 
majority of that game. But down the stretch, Tatum and Brown were nowhere to be found. I don't even think Tatum attempted a shot in the final five or six minutes of that game. They were they were terrible. So offensively, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, the Celtics have to execute and make clutch plays at pivotal moments in this series. So that's another key for the Celtics as well. Also for the Celtics, they have to protect the basketball. That was the biggest issue for the Boston Celtics last year during their run to the NBA Finals. And even in the NBA Finals, they didn't protect the basketball. They, they, they Their turnovers were at a high, high rate. And in this series against the Philadelphia 76ers, you got to protect the basketball if you're Tatum, if you're Brown, if you're Marcus Smart. And I think that was the reason why they signed Brogdon in the offseason. They brought in Malcolm Brogdon to protect the basketball and, and have Tatum and Brown in the right positions offensively and have the right spacing so they don't turn the basketball over. So that's going to be another key for the Celtics. So those are my three keys for the Celtics. Al Horford playing better, also executing late in games in this series, and the Celtics protecting the basketball and not turning the basketball over. But when I look at this series, overall, I believe that the Celtics are the more talented basketball team. I believe that the Celtics also have more depth than the Philadelphia 76ers have. They really, really do. And I also believe that Joel Embiid is the best player on the floor between these two teams. But I say it all the time. If Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both play at a high level, neither one of them are superstars, but them both playing at their best and at their max potential, I believe them together is one superstar. So if Tatum and Brown plays at a high level, I believe that will offset Joel Embiid in this series. And also, another thing to keep an eye on in this series, Joel Embiid's going to be playing on a knee brace. And a few days ago, Doc Rivers said if the series started around the time that he made this comment, he said Joel Embiid would have been 50%. He would have been at 50%. We'll see, but he's going to be on a knee brace. The Celtics losing game five, in Boston, that gave Joel B an extra day of rest because this series was scheduled to begin Saturday, not Monday. It was originally scheduled for Saturday at TD Garden, but because the Hawks were able to beat the Celtics in game five, that pushed game one to Monday between the Sixers and the Celtics. That will help the, the, the Sixers and Joel B and their chances at being able to win this series. Also, I look at the schedule for this series. These games are every other day. The only, the only time where there's going to be two days in between games is game six and game seven. Game six is scheduled for Thursday, May the 11th. And then game seven is scheduled for Sunday, May the 14th. So that is advantage Celtics because there's not going to be a, a significant amount of time in between games for Embiid to get 
back close to being at 100%. And I think that is advantage Celtics. So considering the fact that these games are every other day, also considering the Celtics are the more talented basketball team and they also have more depth than the Philadelphia 76ers have, I am rolling with the Celtics to beat the Sixers in six in the NBA Eastern Conference semifinals. Celtics in six over the Sixers. But it's going to be a tremendous series between two great teams. Everybody, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Come that break, I'm going to discuss the Suns Nuggets matchup in the Western Conference. I'll be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going to follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And we should have followed Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Any particular topics that you want to discuss, we can talk about it on the show tonight. Any NBA playoff matchup that you're the most excited about, call to the show let me know. Which matchup are you the most excited about? in the NBA playoffs, in the conference semifinals? Is it the Heat Knicks? Is it the Sixers Celtics? Is it the Suns Nuggets? Or is it potentially? Potentially, because we don't know what the outcome is going to be in the two games tonight. But is it the Lakers versus the Warriors? So go on to the show and let me know which matchup you are the most excited about. Let's transition to the Western Conference and let's talk about the Phoenix Suns versus the Denver Nuggets. The Suns are the four seed. The Nuggets are the number one seed in the Western Conference. During the regular season, these two teams matched up four times. They split the season series in their matchups. And the Suns are minus 146 to win this series. So they're the favorite over the Nuggets, which is a little significant. That's significant, minus 146. That's what Vegas has it at at the moment. And in their matchups in the regular season, three of them were insignificant because one of them came before the trading deadline when Michael Bridges was still on the Phoenix Suns. And I think on Christmas, they matched up against each other. And Devin Booker left that game with a groin injury. And then they matched up twice after the trading deadline. But the Nuggets did not play their starters in neither one of those two matchups. But just to give you a few of these numbers between the two, the two teams in their four matchups this year, the Nuggets averaged 116 points per game. The Suns averaged 110 points per game. The Nuggets shoot 49%. From the floor, the Suns shoot 46% from the floor. The Suns shot better from three-point range. They shot 40% from the three. The Nuggets shot 35% from the three. So let's start off with the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns 
They beat the Clippers in the first round. They beat them four games to one. And Devin Booker was the best player for the Phoenix Suns in the first round. He completely dominated the LA Clippers. Devin Booker in the first round, he averaged 37 points per game on 60% shooting and 47% from three-point range. 47% from three-point range, 60% overall. Devin Booker was superb in the first round for the Suns. And, and, and Ty Lue and the Clippers, they had a, a, a strategy to double Kevin Durant. And Devin Booker made them pay in the first round. I mean, he I, I think he had at least two 40-point games. I know he had a 40-point game in game Game five, I believe. But, and I, thought, I think he had another one in L.A. I can't remember if it was game three or game four. But Devin Booker was sensational in the, in the first round. And also, in the regular season, Devin Booker played at a very, very high level. During the regular season, Devin Booker, he averaged 28 points per game in 35 minutes average per game. So Devin Booker has been playing some great basketball since Kevin Durant arrived in Phoenix. And honestly, since the beginning of the season, he's been playing well. But remember, earlier part of the season, he was dealing with that, that growing injury that kept him out for a significant amount of time. But he, he's showing why he is universally recognized as one of the best young players in the NBA. Now, Kevin Durant... In the series against the Clippers, he averaged 28 points per game on 52% shooting from the floor, shot 46% from three-point range, eight rebounds, six assists. And Kevin Durant and Devin Booker is the most dynamic duo in the NBA. I know I always say that it's Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but I believe that Kevin Durant he, he, he's an all-time great already. He's an all-time great already. And so we know that Kevin Durant can get his shot whenever, however, on whoever. And him and Devin Booker in the first round, in the first round, this was Kevin Durant and Devin Booker combined. They averaged 66 points per game on 57% shooting from the floor, shot 46% from three-point range, 91% from the free throw line. So from a scoring perspective, I don't think there's a better duo in the NBA other than Kevin Durant and Devin Booker right now because they are tremendous mid-range shooters. They, they shoot at a high level from a mid-range perspective. And, and I think that that's where they are deadly because they can get to the rim and finish at the rim but they can also hit mid-range shots and perimeter shots. But if you foul Durant or Booker, they hit their free throws at a high level. They go to the free throw line and they knock down free throws at a very, very high level. So I believe that Kevin Booker, I mean, I'm sorry, Kevin Booker, <laughs> Kevin Durant now being on the Phoenix Suns, it's made Devin Booker, an even better player because you can't you can't just double Kevin Durant. Look at what happened. In, if I'm Mike Malone and I'm Nuggets, there's no way I'm going to double Kevin Durant because Devin Booker will make you pay. Now, we know Kevin Durant also 
if you play him one-on-one, he can get his anytime he wants. But I, I'd rather take my chances playing Booker and Durant one-on-one than doubling Kevin Durant and allowing Booker to, to go off for 45 against me. So I, that, that that has to be the game plan and the, the strategy for the Nuggets from a defensive standpoint. Like, I would look at that film in the series against the Clippers, and I would do the exact opposite of what Ty Lue did. And not taking nothing away from Ty Lue, but they forced Devin Booker to have to beat them, and he took advantage of it. He's shown he can definitely, definitely take advantage of it. So if if, if I'm Mike Malone, I'm not going to double Kevin Durant. I'm, I'm not. I'm going to take my chances, and they're going to get. They're going to score their points anyway. No matter what, they're going. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker is going to score at a high level. You just got to try to contain Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and try to get physical because that was the reason why the Celtics were able to sweep the Nets last year in the playoffs. Kevin Durant got swept last year by the Boston Celtics. It was because Ime Udoka. He basically got physical with Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant last year in the playoffs, he did not elevate his game to the physicality that was necessary for the Nets to compete in that series against the Celtics. I think it was game three. Kevin Durant shot 11 shots, 11 shots. That is unacceptable if you are Kevin Durant. So that's going to be one of the keys for the Nuggets defensively to, 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 to not double Kevin Durant and, and, you know, try to play one-on-one defense, even though that's not going to work either. But that's your best option. I don't think doubling Kevin Durant is going to be good for the Nuggets. You look at Kevin Durant and the Suns' record and what they've been able to do since Kevin Durant's been with the Suns. They are 12-1 and with Kevin Durant. This includes the playoffs. Kevin Durant's averaging 27 points per game on 55% shooting from the floor, shooting 51% from three-point range, Plus, minus is plus 109. So Kevin Durant has definitely made the Suns better. The problem with the Phoenix Suns is they only go six deep, and they have no depth. The pro to trading for Kevin Durant is you get an all-time great player and one of the greatest scorers in NBA history. The con to trading for a player the caliber of a Kevin Durant you give up your debt. They gave up Cam Johnson. They gave up Jay Crowder. They gave up Michael Bridges to get Kevin Durant. So you don't have any debt on this Phoenix Suns basketball team. They, I mean, this the starting five. They have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Aiden, and Craig as well. Tory Craig. And then they got a Koji off the bench and Biombo. They go seven deep. And in the playoffs, when you go up against teams like the Warriors and the Celtics, who go eight, nine deep, you got to be able to match them. And I don't know if the Suns have the necessary depth to be able to match these other teams in the playoffs. You look at the, the most minutes this postseason played, the most minutes. Kevin Durant is averaging 44 minutes per game. Devin Booker is averaging 43 minutes per game. Chris Paul, Chris Paul is averaging 39 minutes per game. So Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant, you got to ask the question, 
And the question has to be, do they have enough tread on those tires throughout the course of an NBA playoffs to get to the NBA Finals? Do they have enough? Because they're playing high minutes. There's a lot of minutes they're playing. 44 minutes for KD, 43 minutes for Booker, 39 minutes for Chris Paul. We know how old Chris Paul is. And the more minutes Chris Paul plays, the more susceptible he is to getting injured, unfortunately. I hope he doesn't get injured. I pray Chris Paul does not get injured during this playoff round for the Phoenix Suns. But we know that it's a, a reality that has happened time and time again for Chris Paul throughout his career. So that's the, those are, that's the biggest weakness for the Phoenix Suns. They have no depth. Their strength is they have two of the better scorers in the NBA in Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Now, the Phoenix Suns, they are coached by Monty Williams. Monty Williams has coached 703 games in his career. He's won 367 of those games, lost 336. So he's won 52% of his games. He won NBA Coach of the Year in 2022. He also led the Phoenix Suns to an NBA Finals appearance two years ago. So Monty Williams is a proven, proven head coach in the NBA. He's proven. I wouldn't say that he's top three or top five, but I'll say Monty Williams is a top 10 coach in the NBA. And he's definitely respected. Players love to play for Monty Williams as a head coach. Now, when I look at the Denver Nuggets, obviously in the regular season, Nikola Jokic was sensational. He was an NBA MVP candidate. And during the regular season, he played at a high level. Nikola Jokic for the regular season, he averaged 25 points per game. He averaged 12 rebounds per game and 10 assists per game. The three NBA MVP candidates to me are Giannis, Joker, and Embiid. What makes the Joker different from Embiid and Giannis is his ability to pass the basketball. Embiid he doesn't pass as well as the Joker. Neither does Giannis. The Joker is a tremendous passer as a big man. He's probably the best passer, passer when it comes to big men in the NBA. He really, really is. The man averaged 10 assists per game this year. 10 assists per game. His ability to kick the ball out to Jamal Murray, to Michael Porter, to... Caldwell Pope, the shooters that the Nuggets have on their team, that is something that separates the Joker from Giannis and from Embiid. That, that's his biggest case for NBA MVP, if you ask me, because I think he is an all-around player as a big man. He can score. I don't think he's as dominant as a scorer as a Giannis or an Embiid, but he can score in his own right. But he also rebounds at a high level. He averaged 12 rebounds per game during the regular season. So he definitely can rebound the basketball. The problem with the Joker is defensively. Embiid and Giannis are both better than him defensively. And the Nuggets, as a, as a team, they weren't great defensively this year. And if you get Nikola Jokic in the pick and roll, I believe that he could be a liability defensively. And that is... One of the knocks on the Joker. He can be a liability from a defensive standpoint. We know what he brings offensively, but defensively, he he, he is one of the one of the 
weak links of the Nuggets defense overall as their center. There's times where teams literally attack Nikola Jokic. And that is an issue, especially when you're going up against a team like the Phoenix Suns who have players who can create off the dribble like Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Now, one bright spot for the Denver Nuggets is Jamal Murray is officially back, ladies and gentlemen. During the regular season, Jamal Murray averaged 20 points per game, six assists per game, and in the regular season, he elevated his game to an even higher level for the Denver Nuggets. Murray averaged 27 points per game on 47% shooting from the floor, shot 43% from three-point range, and down the stretch in those games, especially in games three, four, and five against the Timberwolves, I thought Jamal Murray started elevating his game and playing at a high level. I remember in the bubble, the Nuggets and the Jazz were in a first-round matchup. In the bubble, it was Jamal Murray versus Donovan Mitchell, and Jamal Murray went shot for shot with Donovan Mitchell in that first round playoff series between the Nuggets and the Jazz. And he, he got injured and we were wondering if Jamal Murray could get back to playing at that level. And I think he's been able to do that. And he, he, he actually led the Nuggets in scoring in their first round matchup against the Timberwolves. He averaged 27 the Joker averaged 26. So I believe in order for the Nuggets to have a chance at being able to win this series, they got to have Jamal Murray playing at a high level. He got to play at a high level in this series. That, that, that That's one of the keys for the, the Denver Nuggets. Now, another key for the Denver Nuggets is going to be their outside production from players not named Murray or Jokic. Michael Porter. In the first round against the Timberwolves, he averaged 16 points per game. I think Michael Porter can, can be a, a fourth option on the championship team, but if he elevates his game, he could be a third option. And I think that's what it's going to take to be able to offset the scoring from Durant and Booker. You're going to need Michael Porter to play at a high level in this series. It can't just be Murray and Jokic. I think Porter is going to also have to contribute from a scoring perspective for the Nuggets to have a chance to win this, this series. So when I look at the Nuggets overall, offensively, they're, they're great. I think they're one of the best teams offensively in the NBA, but they struggle on the defensive side of the floor. That's That's been the, the Achilles heel for the Denver Nuggets so far this season defensively their defensive rating is is tied for 14th in the nba tied for 14th so they have to get better defensively they got to get better i'm wondering like, like when i look at the matchups i think mike malone is going to put gordon on kd and he's probably going to put caldwell pope on devin booker and i'm interested to see if the nuggets not necessarily stop durant and booker but contain Durant and Booker. That, that's going to be key. Like I said, offensively, their offensive rating is fifth in the NBA. Defensive rating is tied for 14th. So defensively, the, the Nuggets are going to have to play much better defense against the Suns compared to what they did against the Timberwolves. Against the Timberwolves in games two, 
three, four, and five, the Timberwolves were able to score 100 points. In game two, the Timberwolves, they scored 113 against the Nuggets. In game three, the Timberwolves scored 111 against the Nuggets. In game four, the Timberwolves scored 114 against the Nuggets. In game five, the Timberwolves scored 109. So defensively, the Nuggets have to play better. They got to play better. So that's going to be a point of emphasis for the Nuggets. So those are my keys for the Nuggets. Jamal Murray playing at a high level again. The Nuggets elevating their defensive intensity. And also Michael Porter playing at a high level as a third contributor and a third option on this Nuggets basketball team. For the Suns, my key, one of my keys is going to be the production from the bench. They got to get some production from the bench. Cameron Payne did come back and, and play in game five in the first round series. Cameron Payne is going to be key because I think he can definitely help the, the Suns from a scoring perspective. Cameron Payne, during the regular season, Cameron Payne, he averaged 10 points per game. So Cameron Payne could definitely give you quality minutes off the bench. He's going to have to do it. It can't just be Biombo and, and, and a coach. It, Cameron Payne has to contribute as well. But that's one of my keys for the for the Suns. And Kevin Durant has to be able to match the physicality in this series. He got to be able to match the physicality as well. And I think the Suns, they got to be able to hit their their their, their pull up jump shots, and they're, these two teams, when you look at their their like how, from a jump shot perspective, they're completely the opposite. The Suns offensively, they rely on a lot of pull up jump shooting. They were ranked first in the NBA in pull up jump shots per game. They averaged thirty five pull up jumpers per game. The Nuggets are the complete opposite. The Nuggets, they were ranked 18th in the NBA in pull-up jump shots. They attempt 24 pull-up jump shots per game. So, so the, the Suns are more of a, a mid-range jump shooting team. The Nuggets are more on the interior with Jokic, and they can also hit perimeter shots as well. Now, when I look at the two head coaches in this matchup, well, I'm, I'm, Monty Williams versus Mike Malone, I think these two coaches – are going to offset each other. I, I don't think Michael Malone or Monty Williams, either one of them are necessarily better than the other. Michael Malone, he's coached in 743 games in his career. So he's 406 and 337 as a head coach. He's won 55% of his games. I think him and him and Monty Williams are going to cancel each other out. So I think that from a coaching perspective, they are evenly matched, the Suns and the Nuggets. This is going to be a great matchup, though. I, I think this series is definitely going to go the distance. I got to go in seven games. And coming into the playoffs, I picked the Suns to get to the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors. I'm going to stick with that pick, and I'm going to roll with the Suns to beat the Nuggets in the Western Conference semifinals in seven games. So I'm going Suns in seven over the Nuggets. I think Kevin Durant and Devin Booker will outplay Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic in this series. And I believe that the Suns 
will get back to the Western Conference Finals. Everybody, go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to discuss the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference. I'll be right back. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These Guys No Sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. You know, you hear that music. It's the NBA playoffs, baby. When you hear that, NBA playoffs, baby. Come on to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Any particular Matchup you're looking forward to the most in the NBA conference semifinals. Is it the Heat or the Knicks? Is it the Sixers or the Celtics? Is it the Suns or the Nuggets? Which matchup are you the most excited about in the NBA conference semifinals second round? Call to the show. Give me your predictions. Also, we'll talk about the NFL draft here in a bit as well. My, you know, winners and losers of the NFL first round draft. I'm going to talk about that in a bit as well. Let's transition back to the Eastern Conference. Let's go to the eight versus five matchup in the East. It's the eighth seed Miami Heat taking on the five seed New York Knicks. So much history between these two teams. First of all, who would have thought the Heat and the Knicks would be in the second round of the NBA playoffs? I had it wrong. I had the Bucks and the Cavs in the conference semifinals in the East. And obviously the Bucks were favorite over the Heat and the Bucks underachieved. So the Knicks, they pretty much dominated the Cavs in their five-game series. I was surprised. I was shocked the way the Knicks were able to dominate the Cavs in their five-game series win. I was completely shocked. So, honestly, like, I'm so surprised that this is the matchup that we're talking about. Like, either the Heat or the Knicks are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, I can't wrap my mind around the idea of the Heat or the Knicks being in the conference finals. If you would have told me two weeks ago prior to the playoffs that the Knicks or the Heat would have an opportunity to get to the Easter conference finals, I would have said you're wrong and you don't know basketball. So that's the first thing I want to, I have to say about this matchup. Also is so much history between the Heat and the Knicks, the, the playoff battles between Pat Riley and Jeff Van Gundy, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson, Allen Houston for the Knicks, Tim Hardaway for the Miami Heat. So much history between the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks in the playoffs. I'm here for it. I am here for this matchup. Game one will be Sunday afternoon on ABC at Madison Square Garden 
at the Mecca. Nick fans are going to be going crazy Sunday afternoon because we know y'all know Stephen A included on ESPN. My man Stephen A, much respect to Stephen A. I love the job that he does for ESPN. Someone who I have a lot of respect for in the media industry. Nick fans, if they win a playoff game, they believe that they have won a playoff series. They believe that they have won a, a conference championship as a team. That's what Nick fans believe. So we all know that the Nick fans are excited for this matchup. Vegas has the Knicks favorite at minus 158. That's that's pretty significant. Vegas believes that the Knicks are are the favorites in this series. Now, the Heat and the Knicks played four times this year. All four games were after the beginning of February. Three of the four games were after the trading deadline. And the Knicks beat the Heat in three out of the four matchups this season. The Knicks averaged 112 points per game. The Heat averaged 111 points per game. The Knicks shot a better field goal percentage at 52%. The Heat shot 48%. The Heat shot better from three-point range at 42%. The Knicks shot just 39%. So let's start off with the Miami Heats. Obviously, the Miami Heat, they are led by Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler has been the best player in the first round of the NBA playoffs. Jimmy Butler in the first round for the Miami Heat against the Bucks, a team that has great defensive personnel. Jimmy Butler averaged 37 points per game on 60% shooting from the floor, 44% shooting from three-point range. That was one of the weaknesses in Jimmy Butler's game was he's not a great three-point shooter. That was something that coaches and Opposing teams, they wanted Butler to shoot perimeter shots because he never really hit them at a high level. That has changed. In the first round against the Bucks, Jimmy Butler shot 44% from three-point range. That's with the likes of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. 44% from three? He was sensational in that first round playoff series. Just to give you some, some context of what Jimmy Butler was able to do in games four and games five of the first round. Nine, this is the last two playoff occurrences where a player had 98 points or more over a two-game span. Michael Jordan in the 1993 finals had 98 points or more in a two-game span. Jimmy Butler had 98 points or more in a two-game span in games four and games five against the Milwaukee Bucks. So Jimmy Butler has definitely, definitely elevated his game. And Jimmy Butler is the true definition of a playoff performer. There are some players who play average in the regular season, and they elevate their games in the postseason. And there are some players who are the opposite. They play great in the regular season, but in the postseason, the lights, when they're at their brightest, they shrink. They shrink. They don't play at the level that they played in the regular season, in the postseason. 
Jimmy Butler is that player who, when the lights are at his brightest, he plays his best. Last year, Jimmy Butler dragged the Miami Heat to a game seven in Miami against the Boston Celtics team that had more depth than the Miami Heat. They had more talent than the Miami Heat. And they had more star power with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown than the Miami Heat had. The Miami Heat only had Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler was one three-point shot away from sending the Boston Celtics on summer vacation and sending the Miami Heat to the NBA Finals for the second time in the last five years because they got to the finals in the bubble against the Lakers. Jimmy Butler is a superstar. And when I think about superstars in the NBA, I think about players who have proven that they can be the number one option on a championship team. And the players that I'm about to name are all first ballot Hall of Famers to me. Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Kawhi Leonard. Now, I know Kawhi Leonard hasn't played in a very, very long time because of injuries, but Kawhi Leonard is proven. Two-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP, one of the best two-way players that we have in NBA history. Kawhi Leonard is proven. I believe that Jimmy Butler deserves to be in that same conversation. We got to start talking about Jimmy Butler as far as him being a Hall of Famer. Not just a great player in today's NBA, but a Hall of Famer from a legacy standpoint. Because I think we we, we really didn't really pay attention as much back then because it was, it was a bubble. But Jimmy Butler leading the Miami Heat to an NBA Finals appearance in the bubble was impressive. It was impressive. We didn't really pay attention to it that much because it was the bubble. But that was an amazing, amazing accomplishment for Jimmy Butler and that Miami Heat franchise. I thought the Boston Celtics were more talented than the Miami Heat that season. I thought the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis and Middleton were more talented than the Miami Heat that season. And Jimmy Butler will the Miami Heat to the NBA Finals in the bubble. And he was en route to doing it last year. But luckily, luckily, that three-point attempt by Butler in the conference finals went off the rim and the Celtics went to the NBA Finals against the Warriors. But Jimmy Butler deserves to be in that NBA superstar conversation for sure. Now, when I look at the Miami Heat, the one thing that I believe is going to hurt the Miami Heat in this series against the New York Knicks is there's no Tyler Hero. There's no Victor Oladipo either. In the regular season, Tyler Hero, he was third from a scoring perspective on the Miami Heat team. Tyler Hero averaged 20 points per game, four assists per game, five rebounds. I believe that Tyler Hero is a player who can get his own shot. And in order for the Miami Heat to compete and be championship contenders, you need Tyler Hero a part of your lineup and you need him on the floor. And he broke his hand in game one against the Bucs. It, it, it was an unfortunate injury. It was kind of odd that he got injured on that play. He was trying to go and fight for the basketball and he dove on the floor, broke his hand. He even shot a, a shot attempt after breaking his hand. But I believe that Tyler Hero is one of the, the contributors for this Miami Heat team. 
And in order for them to, to compete, they need Tyler Hero playing. He's not going, to be, not going to be playing in this series. So that's going to hurt Miami. Oladipo, he went down in game three against the Bucks. I think he was also a player who can contribute on this Miami Heat basketball team. But I think one of the things that Pat Riley and Eric Spolster, they do a great job of maximizing players' potential and them being able to elevate their games. You look at their their roster, Struess and, and Caleb Martin. I mean, these guys are not stars. And in the postseason, they elevate their games. Gabe Davis, I'm sorry, Gabe Vincent, Gabe Vincent, Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent balled out in game five for the Miami Heat. He hit a big-time shot in game five. I think they were down four, less than 15 seconds to go in the game. If Gabe Vincent misses that shot, the Bucks win game five. They win game five. Let me see. Gabe Vincent. In game five, Gabe Vincent had 22 points, shot four of 12 from three-point range, nine of 23 overall. So he didn't shoot the ball great, but he helped Jimmy Butler from a scoring perspective because Jimmy Butler needs someone else to come along for the ride. With no Tyler Hero and no Victor Oladipo, Jimmy Butler's going to need someone else on this Miami Heat team to come along for the ride. And in game five, in a closeout game against the Milwaukee Bucks, it was Gabe Vincent. So Miami, they do a great job of elevating players who are average. They're average, but in the playoffs, they elevate to another level to where they're good. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin. They're not stars, but on this Miami Heat team, Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley, they put them in positions to be successful. And they're C players, but they're B players in the playoffs. And so I think that's going to be key for the Miami Heat. They're going to need someone else to come along for the ride with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler had 42 in game five. I think he had 56 in game four in Miami, but it's going to have to be someone else. Bam out of Bayou, he's, to me, he's inconsistent. I think Bam can score, but there are sometimes and some games where Bam doesn't play at the level that he's capable of playing at. I mean, in the regular season, Bam averaged 20 points per game, but I don't look at Bam the way I look at Embiid or even a joker in the low post. Bam is not a low post dominant threat the way that Embiid and, and Joker is, but he could definitely score. I mean, he does great in, in those teardrop shots in the middle of the lane. He, he could definitely get putbacks and offensive rebounds for the, the Miami Heat and, 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 you know, score around the rim, but he's not a great low post threat, but that's what, one of the keys for the Heat is going to be someone else coming along for the ride with Jimmy Butler. Also a key for the Miami Heat. They're going to need Jimmy Butler to continue playing at the level that he's playing at currently. He, Jimmy Butler has to continue to play at a superstar level. He can't play average. He can't play even at a star slash good level. Jimmy Butler has to play like the best player on the floor 
in this series. Like, I think the, the best players in this series are Jimmy Butler, Julius Randle, and Jalen Brunson. Jimmy Butler can't play at the level that Jalen Brunson can play at or Julius Randle can play at. He has to play at a level above Randle and above Brunson in order for the Miami Heat to have a chance to win this series. So he has to continue playing at a high level and they have to get someone else to come along for the ride with Butler to have a chance at being able to win this series. Another key for the Miami Heat is going to be for the Miami Heat to win far as head coaches. I think Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches we have in the NBA. I, like Eric Spolstra is a tremendous head coach. Eric Spolstra is a two-time NBA champion as a head coach. He's coached the NBA All-Star game twice in his career. And so far since he's been a head coach, Eric Spolstra has coached in 1,195 total games. He's seven, seven on four and 491. So he's won 59% of his games as a head coach. And I believe that he is one of the best coaches in the NBA. I think Eric Spolstra is a top five head coach in the NBA. And the way that he's able to get the most from his players is something that should be admired and we got to give him his flowers as a head coach. I remember at one point, because the Miami Heat, they've been so inconsistent all year. I remember at one point, I was listening to Stephen A on first take, and Stephen A was talking about how maybe the Miami Heat, maybe they need a, a different voice in that locker room. And I believe that the fact that the Miami Heat were able to upset the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round speaks to why the Miami Heat need to keep Eric Spolstra as their head coach for future seasons to come. I think he should remain the head coach in Miami because who you're going to go out there and get that's going to be better than Eric Spolstra is. And I think Eric Spolstra, him and Jimmy Butler have a great head coach, star player relationship. They really, really do. I, I love their relationship. And I think that they both, they both are competitors at a very, very high level. And, you know, Spolster talked about in his post-game press conference after game five about how Jimmy Butler fits the, the DNA of a star who plays for the Miami Heat. So I think that combination with Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolster as head coach and star player is great. And you have to keep that dynamic in place if you're Pat Riley in the Miami Heat as an organization. But those are my keys for the Miami Heat. Now, let's look at the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks this year, Jalen Brunson was the best free agent signing in the NBA last year. Best free agent signing in the NBA. And I believe that Jalen Brunson has done a tremendous job leading this New York Knicks basketball team. During the first round of the NBA playoffs, Jalen Brunson, he averaged 24 points per game five assists per game, four rebounds per game. And he didn't have the luxury of having Julius Randle at 100%. And Brunson still played at a high level. 
played at a high level. And for the second consecutive postseason, Jalen Brunson outplayed Donovan Mitchell. It happened last year, but last year was in the West. Last year, when Jalen Brunson was on the D Dallas Mavericks, the Mavericks beat the Jazz in the first round of the NBA playoffs last year, and Brunson outplayed Mitchell in that playoff series last year in the West. Things haven't changed in the East because Brunson outplayed Mitchell again in the first round series between the Cavs and the Knicks. It wasn't even close. And I said that Donovan Mitchell would be the best player on the floor in that Cavs-Knicks series. Boy, was I wrong. Jalen Brunson was the best player on the floor, and Jalen Brunson has been the best player for the New York Knicks the entire season. Julius Randle, we don't know what his availability is going to be because he did get injured in game five of their first round series against the Cavs. He got injured. He injured his ankle again. So we don't know what, what, what his availability is going to be during the regular season. Randall averaged 25 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, four assists. So that one-two duo between Brunson and Randall is going to be key in this series because I believe the Knicks have two of the three best players in this series, but we don't know the availability of, of, of Julius Randle. And game five, one is Sunday. I'm not sure when game two is going to be. I'm not sure they're going to get, I'm pretty sure that these series, all of these series are going to be every other day. So if game one is Sunday, game two most likely will be Tuesday. And it's a, it's a great possibility that Julius Randle could miss the first two games of this series. It's possible. And that will help the Miami Heat because they already are without Tyler Hero or without Oladipo. So they're dealing with injury issues of their own. If the Knicks don't have Julius Randle, that, that's going to really hurt the Knicks. It really, really is. And so that's, that's, that's a key right there. Also, for the New York Knicks, I thought that in the playoffs, Josh Hart and R.J. Barrett played great basketball. They really, really did. R.J. Barrett averaged 17 points per game in the first round. So I thought R.J. Barrett played very, very good basketball. And I remember in the offseason when the Knicks were trying to trade for Donovan Mitchell, they didn't want to give up R.J. Barrett. And I thought, like, what are they thinking? That, that This is ridiculous. Like, Donovan Mitchell is a star in the NBA. He's one of the best young players we have in the association. Boy, was I wrong again. Because R.J. Barrett proved me to be wrong. R.J. Barrett played great in that first round series. 17 points per game. Josh Hart averaged 12 points per game. And so I thought because the Knicks had playmakers, that was what helped them in the first round against the Cavs. They had more playmakers than the Cavs had. Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, Josh Hart, quickly. They had more playmakers. So I think when you look at this series, without with the Heat not having Oladipo and Hero, I think the Knicks have more playmakers than even the Heat again in this series. Brunson, Barrett, Hart, quickly. You know, Randall, if he comes back and plays. So that's also going to be an advantage for the Knicks in this series against the Heat. I think the Heat have 
you know, Cal Lowry and Jimmy Butler as playmakers who, who can create off the dribble. I'm talking about players who can create off the dribble, not need players to, to set up shots for them. Like Struess, Max Struess to me, Caleb Martin, they need players to set them up to be successful. Not on the Knicks, RJ Barrett can create his own shot. Josh Hart can create his own shot. Definitely a great perimeter shooter. Quickly can create his own shot. Brunson can damn sure create his own shot as well. So I think the Knicks have more players who can create off the dribble than the Miami Heat has. That's, so that's also going to be a key. But one of the players who was tremendous in the first round for the New York Knicks was Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson was sensational from a rebounding standpoint in that first round. Mitchell Robinson, he averaged six rebounds offensively per game against the Cavs. Six offensive rebounds. Like, I thought he completely dominated Evan Mobley in their first round matchup. And so now it's going to be Robinson and, and Bam down there. And that's going to be interesting because I, I think Bam, he's going to be up to the challenge. He, he could definitely rebound the basketball. Bam averaged nine rebounds per game in the regular season. And they also got Kevin Love as well on the Miami Heat. And I think Kevin Love can also stretch the floor. But Kevin Love and Bam out of Bayou have to rebound the basketball. My keys for the Miami Heat are Spolster out coaching Thibodeau, Butler still playing at a high level, at a superstar level for the entire series, and also the Heat out rebounding the Knicks. The Heat have to rebound the basketball to have a chance in this series. For the Knicks, Robinson, him giving the Knicks second chance opportunities was key against the Cavs. They're going to need him again to dominate the boards. They're going. They're definitely going to need him to dominate the boards in this matchup. I spoke about Jalen Brunson a little earlier. Jalen Brunson is ascending. Last year in the playoffs, when he outplayed Mitchell, Brunson averaged 20 points per game. Now, that was with Luka having the basketball in his hands majority of the time. This year, Jalen Brunson, with the basketball in his hands most of the time, Brunson is averaging 24 points per game. So he's averaging four more points per game this year in the postseason compared to last year. So he's definitely ascending. He's definitely ascending. And I think the Knicks are the better team between the Knicks and the Heat. I thought the Heat were inconsistent throughout the regular season. The Heat, in their final 25 games of the regular season, they went 12-13. and 13. They lost their first play-in game against the Hawks. And then in their second play-in game, they were down by three to the Chicago Bulls. And if it wasn't for Jimmy Butler, they would have lost that game as well. I think the Knicks are a better basketball team than the Miami Heat are. I also believe that Tom Thibodeau is going to make defensive adjustments in this series, something that Mike Budenholzer did not do in the first round matchup between the Heat and the Bucks. For whatever reason, Mike Budenholzer 
made zero adjustments. Zero. For what he he had Drew Holiday on Jimmy Butler in all five games. It was clear Jimmy Butler was getting the better of Drew Holiday. We know how great of a defender Drew Holiday is, but he had no answers for Jimmy in the first round. No answers. And Mike Budenholzer, because of his, him being stubborn, did not make the necessary defensive adjustments. Tom Thibodeau is known for his defense. He's more of a defensive head coach than an offensive head coach. So I think Tom Thibodeau is going to force someone else not named Jimmy Butler to beat the Knicks. I think I, I, I believe that Thibodeau will make the necessary defensive adjustments, something Budenholzer failed to do. And that drop coverage that the Bucks played in the first round, I think the Knicks are going to, to blitz Jimmy Butler on the pick and rolls. They're going to blitz Jimmy Butler. They're not going to allow Jimmy Butler to come off the, the pick and be able to have an open jump shot because Jimmy Butler was able to hit his perimeter shots in the first round matchup against the, the Bucks. So Thibodeau is going to make sure someone else not named Jimmy Butler has to beat the Knicks. Now, we look at Tom Thibodeau as a head coach. Tom Thibodeau, he is, he's coached in 831 games, coached in Chicago, coached in Minnesota, and now has been the head coach of the Knicks for the last three seasons. He has a career record of 477 and 356. So he's won 57% of his games as a head coach. I believe that the Heat have the advantage from a head coaching perspective in this series. I also believe that Jimmy Butler will be the best player significantly in this series. And if Julius Randle doesn't play in the beginning of the series, I believe the Miami Heat will have a chance to steal one of those first two games at Madison Square Garden. And because of that, I believe that the Miami Heat are going to upset the New York Knicks and beat the Knicks in seven at MSG and Jimmy Butler is going to send the Knicks home for summer vacation. I got heat in seven over the Knicks. And I believe that this series is going to be tremendous, just like the series that they played in the 90s. But I'm going to roll with Jimmy Butler to carry the Miami Heat to the Eastern Conference Finals. And we're going to have a repeat Eastern Conference Finals matchup between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to discuss the NFL draft. I'll be right back. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. I'm going to go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. I'm sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. If you're wondering why I did not preview the other matchup in the West, because 
They are undecided. Kings, Warriors, 8 o'clock Eastern time in San Francisco tonight. Warriors lead that series three games to two over the Kings. Following that game, we got the Grizzlies and the Lakers. It's John Morant. It's LeBron at Crypto. Lakers lead that series three games to two. If the Warriors and the Lakers both win tonight, it's going to be Lakers and the Warriors in the Western Conference semifinals. I will preview that matchup Monday on the show. Let's transition to some NFL. Let's talk about the 2023 NFL draft so far. And I want to talk about my winners and my losers of the NFL draft so far. But before I get into that, I have to say this. I don't want to make anything about race, but I'm not going to apologize for feeling excited and happy seeing three black quarterbacks drafted in the top five last night of the NFL draft. The Panthers drafted Bryce Young with the number one overall pick. The Texans drafted C.J. Stroud with the second overall pick. And the Indianapolis Colts drafted Richardson with the fourth overall pick. I love the fact that we have three black quarterbacks drafted in the top five of the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, it's something that I got to clap for. I got to clap because it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing day for the NFL for us to have three black quarterbacks selected in the top five. I love it. I'm here for it. And it's something that should be discussed. I love it. I'm here for it. I, I, was, I was listening to first take this morning. Dan Orlowski, he brought it up. And, and that's one thing that we need. We need our, our, our white contemporaries to talk about these type of things. It can't just be African-Americans. It has to also be the, the, the white contemporaries that we work with. The Dan Orlowski's of the world, the Skip Bayless's of the world, the, the Nick Wright's. We need them to bring up about how we have three black quarterbacks selected in the top five of the NFL draft. I love it. I, I love it. That's one thing that I had to mention. With that being said, my biggest winner of the first round of the NFL draft and so far, who's, who's done a tremendous job, the Philadelphia Eagles. Howie Roseman is doing it again for the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles, I felt like they have had the best draft so far. They drafted Jalen Carter. So they got him with the number nine overall pick. And then they followed that up, selecting Nolan Smith, a linebacker. They are adding Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith to a defense that was already top five in the NFL last year. I mean, last year, you look at the numbers defensively last year, the Philadelphia Eagles, they were ranked fourth in total yards given up. They only gave up 330 yards per game, ranked fourth in the NFL. They only gave up 180 passing yards per game. That was ranked first in the NFL, and they were tied for seventh, only giving up 20 points per game. So 
defensively, they got Fletcher Cox up front. You got Brandon Graham as well. Josh Sweat, Jordan Davis at linebacker. They got Nicholas Morrow, you know, Christian Alice in their secondary. They did resign big play Darius Slay, Reed Blankenship. And so they added Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith to a defense that was already an elite defense. I think that in the NFC, the 49ers and the Eagles are the two best teams. And there was a gap between the, the Eagles and the 49ers and everyone else. The Eagles have widened that gap. They have elevated to another level. Definitely have drafting Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith. Love these draft picks by Harry Roseman. So they, they, they're at it again. The, the, Eagles, the Eagles are at it again. Recently in a draft, they were able to, to draft Jalen Hurts. They brought in Devontae Smith as well. Howie Roseman has done a tremendous job as the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles. And the reigning NFC champions, for them to win in the NFL draft, it is amazing. It's amazing. How are you the team that wins the NFC and is considered a winner in the, in the first round of the NFL draft? How? How is that possible? Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I, I like the draft by the, the Eagles so far. I also like what the Texans have done. Drafting C.J. Stroud, that, that was an amazing pick by the, the Houston Texans. I love that. They also drafted Will Anderson. And last year, he was supposed to be potentially a, a first-round draft pick. Real, Will Anderson was. So I, lo I love what the Texans have done. I cannot believe I'm saying it. The Houston Texans have done a tremendous job so far drafting C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson. It, it, it's, it's, they, they, did a, they did a great job. I got to give the Texans credit. I can't believe I'm saying it. But the Houston Texans, right behind the Philadelphia Eagles, have had the best draft so far. A lot of credit to the Houston Texans. I don't like that organization and what they've done in the past to black coaches in David Cully and Lovey Smith. But I definitely like what they've done so far in the NFL draft, drafting C.J. Stroud and Alabama's Will Anderson. So those are my winners so far in the, in the NFL draft. When it comes to my team, the Packers, obviously, I wanted the Packers to get Jackson and Jibba, the receiver from O State. But instead, the, the Packers, they rolled with the, the defensive end, Lucas Van Ness. Lucas Van Ness. He he played at Iowa. And I looked at some of his film. He looked like he looked, he's nice. He looked nice. I, I like Van Ness. I, I like some of the draft picks. That because that, that defense for the Packers, they got a lot of first round draft picks. A lot of them. Jair Alexander, Van, Van Ness, you, you got Rashad Gary. They got a lot of first round draft picks on the defensive side of the football for the Packers. If Jordan Love is, is just average or good, the Packers can be set up for success. I know it's my team and everyone's going to say, oh, you are a homer. You're being biased. No, I think now that Aaron Rodgers is gone, the, 
Brian Gutekunst, the general manager for the Packers, they are trying to set this Packers team up to where the defense is the strength of the football team and Jordan Love can manage the game and run the football with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and that be their recipe for success to be able to win football games. Defensively, you got Van Ness, you got Jair Alexander. In your secondary, you still got Darnell Savage. So I, I like the Packers defense. Linebacker, you got Devondre Campbell. Okay, up front, you still got Kenny Clark. Still got Wyatt from Georgia last year. So Packers defense is going to be strong. It's going to be, it's going to be much, much better next season. But those are my thoughts on the NFL draft. I'll get more into the NFL draft the next week on the show. Everybody, go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at these guys no sports. It's going to be a tremendous NBA conference semifinals round. Everybody join me next week discussing some of the NBA playoff action and reacting to the NFL draft. I'm Trey Larkin signing off. Have a great weekend, everybody. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.